Open your Bible to Matthew 11. Um, I hate to get off on the sidetrack, but during worship I saw a picture in my mind. When a marsupial is born, a kangaroo is born. From what I understand, little Joey does is it crawls from the womb to the pouch. That's a little bit hot there, Bill. To the pouch area where it will latch onto a nipple. And it'll stay there until it's old enough that the mother throws the joey out. And we sang about El Shaddai today. And that's how God revealed himself to someone. He revealed his son to someone who is hurting and broken. And he says, I am El Shaddai. I'm the breasted one. And I don't know who that word is for today. But I just sense the Lord is saying to those who are hungry and thirsty and broken. The picture of the joey is that it stays there. Not just for a season where the mama kangaroo kicks it out. It latches onto that nipple until it's fully nourished and matured. El Shaddai wants you to latch on and to eat of him and to drink. He gave us that image of himself as the breasted one, the one who wants to feed and sustain. And so I don't know who that is, but I would encourage you, um, listen to what I have to say because you can always get the CD. But don't miss, do not miss the opportunity to be fed by him because that's what it's all about. We're here to be in his presence to be changed. So I'm giving you, whoever that is, permission to check out and to just sit in his presence and say, Lord, I'm not leaving here until you feed me. I'm not leaving until the nourishment runs down my cheeks because if I don't get it from you, the source of all life, I have nothing. But, uh, Matthew 11, I want to look at a passage today that, I, in my opinion, could very well save your life. And I mean that literally. Sometimes we don't take the word of God as serious as we should be. It is life to our soul. Every word in there is for edification, for reproof, for doctrine, for correction. It's for our understanding. God doesn't, wasn't casual about his words. He said it for a purpose. In this day and age, we're in warfare. Some of you, when you became Christians, uh, they never told you that you became the enemy of the enemy our soul. And you've been in warfare. And warfare, when it takes place outside of the church, is hard. You know what I'm talking about when you go to work and you're ridiculed or you're ridiculed in your family? My parents came to the Lord before I did, but my brothers didn't right away. And so I was outcast by my brothers and my friends, and it's hard. And when that kind of oppression hurts, it's really bad. But when it takes place in the church, it's destructive. It's damaging, but it's more than that, it's destructive. And the body of Christ is wounded and fractured all across the United States. There are churches meeting today that were started because people got offended. Not necessarily because God told them to start a church, but someone got offended and started their own church. I had many friends of mine that when I went to college they were just coming back from Vietnam. And, and over there, there was kind of a bizarre war. You never knew who the enemy was. And I said, how did you figure out who the enemy was? And he said, it's real simple. It's the one shooting arrows at you. It's the one shooting bombs at you. It's the one snipers in the bushes that were firing at you. They're the enemy. I'm here to declare to you today, flesh and blood is not your enemy. The person sitting next to you is not your enemy. The person at the Baptist church down the block is not your enemy. The Catholic church down the block there is not your enemy. Jesus said, flesh and blood is not your enemy, but the principality, the rulers of darkness, of wickedness have come to destroy your life and my life. We're in warfare. He's not playing games. He's relentless. He doesn't care what he has to do to destroy your relationship with God. And in my opinion, the number one way he does that is with offenses. We want to look at today a strategic shift of from bondage to freedom. 
And the word I have to give you today, I'm hoping to penetrate in you something that will save your life. I've dealt with too many people over the years in counseling, people in churches that have been offended and wounded and broken and marriages shattered and fractured. I deal with pastors a lot in Minnesota and Wisconsin and South Dakota, and I watch them fractured and saying, I don't want to ever go back to that church and do ministry again. Shattered by people in the pews. It, it ought not happen in the body of Christ. So today I'm talking to the body of Christ. We've got to get this one right. We've got to firm up. And I'm going to give you some practical things. So don't hear me just coming in here and smacking you upside the head and leaving you wrong. We want to get this right. This is kind of like that halftime talk where all of a sudden we're going to turn something around. And we're going to change it. See, here's my take on any kind of sport, whether it's hockey or football. If they can score five goals in the last period, we can score five goals in the next period. There's nothing stopping us. So we can make a change if we're willing to make a strategic shift. But we have to put ourselves in a position of saying, Father, I want to get this right. Because there's too much damage in the body of Christ. Amen? Matthew, or the book of Acts tells us something. I was reading it, and um, it shows that the real destruction took place not from the outside forces. It took place from the inside attacks and the destruction that took place, the backbiting, the murmuring, the complaining, the grumbling. And I love to say it doesn't happen here, but it happens here. It happens in every church. It's time we deal with this. Matthew 11, let's start in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his disciples that he parted from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John the Baptist had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Let me give you just a little background there. John is in prison. John is in prison because he told Herod that he shouldn't have his brother's wife. And he said that it was wrong. John is about to be beheaded. John is in a position that he's saying, you know what, I have, I have been the one from the womb. John was in Elizabeth's womb when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. John was the one that was not only his cousin, but he was the precursor, the predecessor to Jesus' ministry. He was the one that God used to confirm the calling that was on the baby that was in the womb of Mary. John the Baptist. Went about preaching righteousness. Went about preaching truth. When it didn't seem to matter who was in your path. He was passionate for the things of God and for holiness. And he got in their face. Well, John made it a, a failed decision here. And somewhere in the process, he got in the face of Harold, who, Herod, who had a little bit of power. And when he was critical of him, he got thrown into prison. John is sitting there assessing his ministry. John, at one point, had all these people following him, and then he saw Jesus. Because he'd been telling about the Messiah coming, and he said, that's the one. And John shifted from being one who had disciples to being, in a sense, a barker. Do you know what I mean? The guy that stands at the, at the show or the fair or the carnival and says, come on in. That's what John became. Well, John is arrested. John is in prison right now. And John is sitting there assessing his ministry and saying, is this what it's all been about? And he started hearing about Jesus. He saw Jesus. He was there when he was baptized. But he's assessing his own ministry in prison. He's had some time to think. That's where we are in the story. And John said, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another one? Have I missed it? It doesn't make sense what you're doing, Jesus. 
And Jesus answered and said, Tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to him. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Father, as we spend time in your word right now, I'm asking that you would do something powerful in our hearts. Bring up the reality of what we're doing as we gossip and slander and as we get offended. Change us, Father. We said that you are our Lord. We submitted our lives to you. We said it's on Christ the solid rock I stand. And all the other grounds are shifting sands. Well, we're here because we want to be changed by you. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would not just convict us, but that you would challenge us. And then that that you would change us and equip us. That we would be ones who, again, are blessers, not cursers. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. The word offended there in the Greek is skandalizoi. And you say, so what? Skandalizoi is the image of a tripping stick. It's a stumbling block. He's saying, John, John, I came to bless you. You will be blessed if you don't trip over what I just said. John, I don't want you to be one who stumbles. I don't want you to be one who falls. And let me give you this word picture. It's even better. Because in the original Greek, the word for scandalon, which we get the word scandal is the word scandalon. What did I say? Scandalizo, and the root word of it is scandalon. And the image there, and you sing this as you were a kid, it's to make a box, and you put a stick under it, and you put a little piece of bait onto the string that pulls the stick so that when an animal or a small thing comes in there, it's pulled, and they're caught. That's the image Jesus is saying. John, you will be blessed if you don't take the bait and pull the string and knock the stick and get trapped under the box. John, you're about to be offended by what I just said. And you will be blessed because Jesus wants us to be blessed. He doesn't want us to live under the box. Turn to your neighbor and say, watch out for the box. Turn to your other neighbor and say, this could save your life. Verse 6, he says, John, you will be blessed if you're not scandalized by what I'm about to say, about what I'm doing, about how I'm doing my ministry. John, if you don't take the bait, you don't pull that string, you don't pull the stick, you will be blessed. Jesus said, I've come to bless you that you might have life, Zoe life, in abundance. John the Baptist had seen Jesus doing all these things. He was there in Matthew 3 when the Holy Spirit came down to him. He heard the Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John had seen the miracles take place. But then John also saw something strange. Again, this is the man who's after righteousness and holiness and purity. And then Jesus starts hanging around with prostitutes and tax collectors and Democrats. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? He was hanging around with people that Jesus shouldn't be hanging around with. And John said, is this the guy? Is this the Holy One? Is this the Messiah? Because I've got all these disciples. I just told to go to his ministry. And if it's not right, I need to get it right. So he sends a word to Jesus, letting him know that he's offended. Many of us wonder the same way. As we became Christians, and we said... God, is this what Christianity is all about? Is this what I gave up my my friends and my family and my possessions? Is this what I followed you for? This can't be it. 
We see what Jesus is doing and, and our perception of what he think, we think he should be doing is different and we find ourselves scandalized by what God does in our life or what God does in a church or what God does in a ministry. Unrealistic expectations take place in our life and we get scandalized. We get offended. If I can just have the perfect Ken and Barbie family... If I can just go on that perfect vacation, when I go on that perfect vacation, then and then it'll be great. Or if I can just get that perfect pet. And what happens? Ken turns out to be as plastic five years into the marriage as he was when you married him. And you say, this is it? And you go on the vacation and it rains or you get, you get sickness or you miss your flights or something's wrong and you say, this is it? And the dog, six couches and 15 pairs of shoes later, you find yourself saying, this is it, but I thought something was supposed to be different. And we're offended. And we start living under the box. The bait, the scandal on John was about to take it. Everything Jesus did, John didn't think he was supposed to be doing. And everything John thought Jesus would do, Jesus didn't do. He upset not only the Pharisees, but he also upset John. And Jesus was warning and saying, John... It's up to you. But I would really encourage you, John. I want you to be blessed. Don't take the bait. Don't pull the string. Don't live under the box, John. Proverbs 18:19 says this. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. I've gone to people that deal with offenses over the years, and they don't want to deal with it. They're under a box. They live under a box. And mostly because of unrealistic expectations. But I thought were the words that came out of their mouth. Watch out for the box, people. In 2 Kings 5, we have a very very familiar story there about Naaman. And Naaman is the commander of a very large army. And he has a problem. He has leprosy. And a little servant girl says, hey, listen, there's a guy over of, uh, out of Israel. He's a prophet, and he can heal you. So the, kid, the servant goes to his master and says, would you give me permission to go meet with him? And so he gives him a letter, and he writes him a check for basically $3,840,000 and says, take it to the prophet and get healed. Naaman goes there, ends up meeting the king. The king's offended, and, and Elijah hears about it. He says, look, this is the guy. I'm the guy he's trying to find. And Elijah sends a servant to meet with Naaman. Naaman said, I thought I would show up in all my regalia. I'm this great commander. And Elijah would come out and have this great entourage, maybe have a special church service meeting for me. I would come up, he would heal me, and I would build up his ministry. But Naaman gets offended. Because instead of Elijah coming out, he sends a servant and says, here's what I want you to do, Naaman. I want you to go down to the river seven times and dip in the water. And Naaman says, what are you talking about? Are there not enough rivers where I came? There's at least six of them. Why did I need to come here? But I thought God would just show up and heal me, and that's how he would deal with it. Fortunately, in that case, as he was about to take the bait, as he was about to pull the string, as he was about to have the box fall in him, another servant said, Naaman... If he told you to capture ten cities, wouldn't you have done it? This is a simple thing. Naaman almost missed his healing because he was about to take the bait and he didn't watch out for the box. That ought to be a word for some of you that have missed an opportunity to be healed in many areas. Because you found yourself saying, I thought. I thought, says John the Baptist. I thought, says Naaman the leper. I thought, we say, as God doesn't do what we think he should be doing. 
Listen to me, my friends. When you find yourself in a position where you feel that box starting to shake, get out of there quickly. You are about to be offended, and you're going to miss what God wants to do for you. Let me give you three reasons why people are scandalized. Number one is personal opinions. Those who are the most opinionated, it is my opinion, are the most easily offended. (laughs) Coffee, I know you just got offended by that one. I thought, they're just preferences, that's all they are. Opinions are just preferences. But I thought, when you find yourself saying those words, watch out. You're about to take the bait and get stuck under the box. First one is personal opinion. Second is personal advantage. What can I get out of this situation? What can I get out of this workplace? What can I get out of this church or ministry? I'm going to show up. I'm the man of God. I'm the woman of God. I just came from... And we get offended because they don't recognize us. Someone else's assessment of who we are and what we do doesn't line up with what we think we are or what we should do. It says that a man's gift makes room for itself in Proverbs 18:16. Our assessment and God's gifts in our lives may not line up with what you think they are. If you're looking out for number one, just yourself, instead of how you can bless that church, how you can bless that ministry, you're going to get offended. You're going to get under the box. Watch it. Don't take the bait. Personal opinions, personal advantage. Number three is personal convenience. We've got comfortable, carefully planned lifestyles. We've got it all figured out. And, and I don't know if this happened to you, but you come to the Lord and all of a sudden your whole world is topsy-turvy. And it's not what you thought it was. Just come to Jesus and everything will be fine. And it doesn't happen that way. And I'm going to tell you this, my life is more blessed before I was now that I am a Christian than when I was before. Sometimes I feel like I was minding my own business, had everything all figured out, I had my career all set, I had the girl I was going to marry, had it all together figured out, and then Jesus came in and messed it all up. Personal opinions, personal preferences, personal conveniences, they change when we come into the life of Christ, don't they? And God kind of messes things up and gets us going in a different direction. Saul of Tarsus was headed down the road to destroy the church, and God says, that's not my plan for you. I want you to be Paul and I want you to bless the church. But I thought, Lord, I thought I was doing a great thing for you as I was storming in with the papers to destroy these Christians gathering. The gospel requirements are not convenient. They're heavy in our lives and they can hurt us. And it's easy opportunity for us to be offended when God says, I want you to do something different than your life. When we've got to cut out the slander and the gossip. When we've got to cut out things in our life that used to bring us pleasure even though they were full of death. But I thought personal opinions is the most frequent of the three. Personal advantage is the most powerful of the three. And personal convenience is the most subtle of the three. So how do we change these things? In John 16, 1, he says, I've spoken to these things to you that you should not be scandalized. That you should not take the bait. That you should not pull the stick. That you should not get under the box. The same word for scandalizer, the same word that we get into scandal or offense. Jesus was about to break their bubble about the kingdom of God. He says, you will be blessed if you don't get stuck under the box. So how can I know if I'm about to take the bait? Let me give you three symptoms. And they all start with D. That'll make Jim happy so he's not offended. (laughs) Number one is disillusionment. Which means you first have to be illuminated about something. I think it's the writer of Hebrews that says, Don't forget the former things before when you were illuminated. 
Lest at any time, he talks about this great fight that you had, lest at any time you should lose them and cause you to stumble. The examples would be like your marriage, your house, and all the things start wearing off. And you miss out on it. And, and you find yourself saying, but I thought, as you look at your spouse, but I thought as you look at your car, but I thought as you come into worship and they don't sing your song. Watch out. You are about to take the bait. You're about to get under the box. The second one, disenchantment. In John 6, there's a story where Jesus radically changes and starts talking about a different ministry. They had just, he had just fed the loaves to the 5,000. And the people are following him. And Jesus said, listen, the only reason you're following you, really, is because I gave you some bread. And he starts making this transitional theological shift in about uh, verse 53 of John 6. And he starts talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And everyone says, whoa, what is this all about? And it says there were many after that that walked with him no more. This doesn't fit our understanding. Listen, the more you can grow in the Lord, the more you can be disenchanted with who God is and what he wants you to do. There's a potential. Oh, I'd never get mad at God. You do every day at that potential. The enemy of your soul is trying to ruin your relationship with the lover of your soul. It is possible for you to be disenchanted with God. If it hasn't happened, watch out. Be on your guard. That relationship will be attacked, potentially. In verse 61, it says, Jesus knew it himself, but his disciples murmured at it, and he said, does this offend you? What I just said about eating flesh and drinking blood, does that offend you? And Peter gives this great story afterwards where he says, but Lord, where else can we go? Because you alone have the truth and the life. Where else? You alone have the words of life. Where else can we go, Lord? But the disciples were feeling the, the stick starting to shake. The disciples were starting to see the box because the crowds that had followed them were all gone now. And it was down to only a small handful. And Jesus says, does this offend you? When you find yourself in that position where you're disenchanted about what God's doing in your life and it doesn't make sense to yourself, watch out. You are about to be taking the bait, pulling the string, and getting caught under the box. Disillusionment, disengagement, and the third is disengagement. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. This is to me is the scariest of them all. This is the most destructive of them all to me. When we're scandalized, we are tempted to get out of relationships. I'm going to get out of that church, out of that family, out of that marriage, out of that home, out of that neighborhood, out of that work situation because I'm offended and I'm hurt. Now listen here, I'm not going to disqualify or, or blow away the fact that we get hurt. It's very real. But to go and say that the healing is what we should be focusing on rather than the healing, then you've missed the point. I love Carlos's words where he said, when he's talking about Amy and the birth and the whole thing, and he said that the Lord said, Carlos, I want you to just keep your eyes on me. Too often we look at the situation around us and we say, that's it, I'm out of here. Those people hurt me. That church, that ministry, that group of people, I'm offended. I've taken the bait. I'm stuck into the box and this is where I choose to live. I'm going to go to another place where they'll never do that again to me. They will. I guarantee you. I had a friend who, he was in part of the whole Jesus people movement and anyone knows the history of that church. It, it fell apart because of sexual morality. He went to another church and he was there about two years and the ministry, the, 
the leaders of that church got involved in sexual morality, and he was out of that church, and he went to a third one. He says, it's really hard for me to trust the leadership. Very hard. He was aware that he could be scandalized, but he was disengaging. An incident happens in our life. We take the bait, we pull the string, we knock the stick out, and we find ourselves stuck under the box, and we say, leave me alone. I'm happier here. Miserable old cuss, but I'm happier here than getting out into the world somewhere else. Watch out. When you find yourself starting to get out of relationships, watch out. You're about to take the bite. That disillusionment, that disenchantment, that disengagement turns into bitterness, and then you start to talk about it. Don't go to that church. I had a pastor. I, I deal a lot with pastors. And I was talking with one, and he had taken over a church. And, and, and you know, his heart is right. This is a good guy. But he was talking about this other pastor, the, the former pastor, and what he did to the people. And he hadn't checked out his information. And he was so offended by them that he went around telling me what he thought about this other pastor. And I said, you got anything more to tell me? And he says, why do you ask? I said, because tomorrow I'm having lunch with that pastor and his wife, and you didn't know that. And I'm telling you not to embarrass you, but to cut that off. Because you're telling me a story without ever checking it out. You've listened to these other people, and they've changed your heart. 1 John 3.14 says this, We know we pass from death into life because we love the brother. He that loves not his brother abides, remains, dwells, continues, tarries, endures in death. It's very real. I watch these wounded people walking around. You know what the Baptist church did to me? You know what the Catholic church did to me? You know what the Assembly of God church did to me? You know what that church over, that New Covenant church over there did to me? Wounded, fractured. And you want to know why nobody wants to become a Christian in your workplace. We reek of flesh instead of the sweet, sweet fragrance of Jesus because there's no oxygen under here. There's no life under here. And that's what they get because we live in the offenses of what someone else did to us instead of going to the healer and saying, Jesus, would you free me up of this stuff? Yeah. We live in bondage instead of freedom. But I think God wants to change that today. Yeah. I don't think Jesus ever comes into our life and does this, but he does this. Come on out of there. There's no life in there. Come on out of that box. You've been living there too long. Right. Let me help you out of there. I don't want you to live in there. You don't want to live in there. Yeah. And he wants to take us. Living under the box is the life of death. In Matthew 18, Jesus said this, Woe to the world because of offenses, because of scandalizing, because of stumbling block, because of offenses. For offenses must come. They will come, Jesus is saying. But woe to the man by whom the offenses come. He's saying the bait is always going to be there for the taking. It's always going to be there. Right. You can't escape it. Yeah. I'm a Christian. Why, why would offenses happen? They're there. And if some of you are short offenses, I will subcontract opportunities that I get on a daily basis to you. Right. We always will have opportunities as long as we're alive. Yeah. Some of you, when you walked in here today, were offended by somebody else the way they sang, the way they dressed. And I'm not saying you took the bait. The opportunity was sitting there right there. Anyone that's been married at any length of time will understand what I'm talking about. It is so easy. Last Saturday night, I preached in Minneapolis last Sunday. Last Saturday night, 
10 o'clock at night. Kathy and I are just dialoguing. We got along great. She said something, and I saw that bait, and I was ready to take that thing and snap that thing. It'll happen. I stormed into the shower, a little bit pouting. I prayed. I walked out, and Kathy said, I'm so sorry I did that to you. I didn't mean to offend you. Opportunities be there, but woe to the one who takes the bait. Let me give you some sources for offenses so we can be on our guard. Number one, misconduct of a leader or a believer who we hold in high esteem. It's there. The potential is there. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In 1980s, we saw all these televangelists you know, fleece the flocks with their finances, and we saw people no longer following. It's what you were talking about this morning when I told you to stop it, you're stealing my thunder. Is that there are people offended who won't go because they're disillusioned by what a leader did to them or did to the church or did in the situation. If you figure out another way to use other than people, let me know. But as long as God's got people running the church, there's always a potential for offense to take place in your life. We're to follow leaders as they follow the Lord. Romans 3.23, have we forgotten this? All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We walk in grace and grace alone. The word is so clear. It says the teacher will be held in higher standard or high account. It's not because God's saying, well, Jim, because you preach it, it's because of this. It's because we're aware of it. Right. It passes through our hearts is what Carrie was saying first. Right. And we're so aware of how easily we are for us to take the bait. Right. And the risk is you sit there and say, oh, God, let me get through this whole week and not be offended by anyone today so I can stand up here today and not have to feel guilty. Hmm. Number one is misconduct for leader or believer who we hold in high esteem. Number two, presumptuous prophecy and weird forms of guidance. There are these vagabond prophets that go through the church, maverick sheep, who come through and tell you words, and it doesn't take place because it wasn't necessarily from God. We are so afraid to say, I don't think that's God. We have potential. They are sources of offenses when someone comes and says, this is going to happen in your life, and it wasn't God, and it doesn't take place, and so now we're offended at God. Well, God, you said that in three years it's going to happen. Did God say it? I don't know. I believe in prophecy. I believe there are real prophets out there in the world, but there's opportunities by well-meaning people. Vague of, most of these people are under no authority. They're under no, they couldn't tell you who their church is. They couldn't tell you who their pastor is. They couldn't tell you anything about that. There are opportunities, if we don't watch out for that, for us to be offended. We have to be on our guard. Satan sends them in to devour the sheep. Ezekiel 34 talks about the two different types of shepherds. Satan is out to destroy you. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy your life. He's not out to bless you. It's a real war. It's time for us as a church to grow up and quit playing games. We need to shift. Number three is promised or claimed healing. Now, I believe in healing. But sometimes we don't get healed. I, I have seen probably more miracles than you guys put together. Bonafide, medically documented miracles. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen heads split open. I've seen tumors disappeared. I've seen broken feet snap back in place and healed. But sometimes God does not always heal this side of heaven. I think we're still supposed to pray. I think we're still supposed to have faith and not put a disclaimer, well, maybe God won't heal you. We're supposed to anoint with oil. We're supposed to go to the elders and have them pray. But sometimes God doesn't heal this side of heaven. I know it's very hard for a Pentecostal church to hear that. 
I believe in healing. I have lined up my kids one year. I remember this. They were all throwing up. They were all sick. And we prayed for all six of them. By the time we got to the end, the first one was totally healed. And then two hours later, three hours later, they were all healed. I've been struggling with pneumonia for almost four weeks. That doesn't always heal us like we think we should. Watch out. It's a chance for us to be offended. God does whatever he wants to do. When you find yourself asking this question, but why God? Or I thought God. Watch out. You're about to be offended. Number one is misconduct of a leader or believer. Number two is presumptuous prophecy or weird forms of guidance. Number three is promised or claimed healing. Number four is tribulations or persecutions. Greater tribulation and persecutions is coming to the church in the United States. I have friends who do ministry in Kenya who talk about on a daily basis the ones who were at the church that had the babies thrown back in and talk about having to flee. A friend of mine pastors eight churches over in Kenya talk about having to be life on the run and to go from village to village running away from it. Persecutions are coming. Last Saturday I had a chance to pray with the leader of the underground church in China. Spent the day instead at the Excel with my daughter being a dad as Rachel competed in the high school dance competition and I missed it. But my brother has spent time with this guy and has talked about the executions that take place on a daily basis in China. Persecutions are coming. But God, I thought this would never happen to me. But God, I thought I once I gave my life to you that, that nobody would ever pick on me. They'd all at work say, wow, you are a great guy. We love having you here. And your family would say, something's really different about you. It doesn't happen that way. We've got to watch out and not get offended with the God who created us and called us. Let him do whatever he wants. God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Let's not get offended at him. And let's be honest with ourselves enough to say, I've gotten offended with God. And when he did something, I didn't think he should do. And let's deal with that thing. Number five, and this is the one that's the most destructive. It's taking up the offenses of another. How does it work? It's pretty simple. I go and I'm, I have a meeting down here at church and, and I'm talking and, and I, it's with Ken. And Ken and I are dialoguing. And I come away from this meeting and I'm mad and I'm stomping and I come home and say, Kathy, she says, how'd the meeting go? And stink, stink, stink and Ken, Ken, Ken and on and on. I get it off my chest. And Kathy's there listening to this thing. And I go away and I say, oh man, I got to deal with this thing. This is wrong. Because tomorrow's communion Sunday and so that's the one Sunday you have to get everything right or... <laughs> And so I call Ken up and I said, can we get together for coffee? And we get together and we talk and we pray and we get it taken care of and we understand each other and it's all fixed. And about two months later, we're sitting around the house and Kathy said, hey, we got nothing going on Friday. We should have someone over we haven't had for a while. And I said, well, what about Ken and Sharon? She says, Ken, I don't want that guy in my house. And you say, what is her problem? There's nothing wrong. She took on my offense. She never saw me deal with it. I've seen people talk about churches they knew nothing about. I've seen people talk about ministers and ministries they knew nothing about. Where would you get this information? Well, so-and-so told me about them. We take on the offense of somebody else and we talk about an elder, a pastor, a brother, what they did. You get it right and the offense is taken up by somebody else and they wander with it. James 3.16 says this, where envy and strife is, there's confusion and every sort of evil work. First Timothy 5.19 says, and I wish that people would do this one. You want to save the church of Jesus Christ? Again, I, I believe the gates of hell will not prevail. You want, to, you want to make a difference in the church? Apply this one to your life. 
1 Timothy 5.19, against an elder receive not an accusation except for two or three witnesses. You know what that's saying? Paul is saying this. When you hear a story about a pastor, a leader, an elder, don't receive it. Unless you've got somebody else that will back that up. Don't receive it. Say, listen, I, I, I don't want to hear about what you're saying about Ken. He's an elder in this church. And because scripture says that, I'm not going to receive that about them. I don't have to hear that. Are we supposed to ignore this stuff? No, you go and you say, listen, I've got to deal with this thing somehow, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. But I have seen churches destroyed by this one alone. Take up the offense of another person, and we receive a word, and suddenly there's a witch hunt to destroy a church. Right. Happens every day. Yeah. It happens, and every church is, is open, pray to this. And it's the enemy of our soul that's driving it. And well-meaning, well-intended people are destroying church by taking up the offense of somebody else. Nobody wins. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, when one member suffers, we all suffer. Nobody wins. There's no life in a church being destroyed or split down the middle. None. Nobody wins. Seen it way too many years. It's the, it is the saddest part about becoming a Christian. It's the one that I never knew could ever happen. We've got to stop it. We've got to hug them around the neck and say, they claim Jesus there, I'm going to claim them as brothers and sisters. They claim Jesus, they're a part of the body. They claim Jesus, I'm going to stand with them, I'm going to fight with them. Steve Camp says the body of Christ is the only army in the world that destroys its wounded, shoots its fellow leaders, its fellow members. You don't have to fellowship with them, you don't have to hang with them, you don't have to support them financially. They claim Jesus, we've got to claim them. Quit taking the offense of somebody else. Let me give you some preventions and cures. Number one, be forewarned. God does allow things to come into our life. He does. Yeah. Number two, take some personal preparation and pruning. Pluck out things that are going to cause you to offend. Right. Deal with them now. If there's things that you know cause you to be offended, cut them out. Better to enter into heaven right. with right. instead of yeah. and enter into hell. Get rid of them. Stay away from people who gossip. I wish you all had a brother like my brother, Rick. We go over to his house to play a game. And we're just playing a game. And all of a sudden, someone starts telling a story. Maybe his wife, Sue, starts talking about somebody. He says, stop, gossip, slander, don't want to receive it, change the subject. And I have two thoughts. The first thought is, I'm so grateful that I've got a man of God in my life as a brother who will not allow me to get into this kind of hearsay gossip. And the other thing is, I want to wait for him to leave the room so I can ask Sue how the story ends. <laughs> Oh, come on. You do the same thing. <laughs> Stay away from people that are going to gossip. Stay away. Say, why are you telling me this? I don't need to hear it. Cut that part off your flesh that feeds on that stuff. That's bait. That's how you take the stick. Oh, we're just going to pray. That's a lie. Don't do that. Say, you know what? I don't need this information. Number three, allow God to be God. Psalm 115.3 says, but our God's in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Bob Mumford calls it the 98% rule. I don't know if it's true or not. I thought it was a good thing I learned years ago. 98% of what God does is in scriptures. You'll always find it lining up. But then there's this 2% factor where God does whatever he wants. I can show you a couple examples in scripture of this. I believe in water baptism. We'll talk about it for next week. It's a scriptural principle. I wish someone would get saved, get them in the tank, and then get them baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's the way I would do things. That's the way I've always taught it. But there's a thief on the cross who gives his life to Jesus and he says, today you're going to be in paradise. But Lord, I thought 
We've got to get this guy down, put him in the tank, then throw him back on the cross, and then he can be in paradise. Sometimes God does things different. Most, if not all, of what he does will line up with scriptures. The Catholic can't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the assembly of God said, and the outpouring was released on the denominational churches. Peter says that the Gentiles can't receive the Holy Spirit, and it was released on the Gentiles. God will always confirm what he does. It will always line up in here, but it may not make sense to us right away. Allow God to be God. God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Get that stuff out of our heart that dares to say, God, you're my co-pilot, and I'll let you fly a couple of times, and I'll let you do it. He's not your co-pilot. He doesn't want you in the front of the plane reading the map. He doesn't want you as a backup reserve. He wants you in the back seat, in the jumper seat next to the Lermer cart, serving the coffee when he says to serve the coffee. Amen. Let God be God. Let him. Go, oh God, you could never fix this marriage. Let God be God. You couldn't want me in that church. Let God be God. Maybe that is what he's doing to you. All right, number four is caring relationships. We need people in our life. We need to develop relationships so when we get offended, they don't let us stay in that position. They come along the side of us and they say, come on out of there. You say, but I've already wallpapered it and I've already got carpeting in there and I've got the big screen TV and I've built an addition out the back end. We need friends who say, come on out of the box. Don't stay there. You're destroying your life. We need people in our lives not only to run from the ones who gossip, we need to run to the ones who encourage us not to be offended. I don't like them when they say it to me at first, but I'm so grateful to the people that God has placed in my life that constantly challenge me to walk as a beloved of the beloved and to not stay offended, to not live under the box. We need to say, come on out of there. You cannot afford the rent of living under the box no matter how nicely you've managed to decorate it. You can't afford the rent. Number one is before Warren. Number two is personal preparation and pruning. Number three is allow God to be God. Number four is caring relationship. And number five is get an overview. Get God's perspective. Jesus, would you show me the Father? Would you show me what the Father's doing? That's what worship is so crucial in our life. Every situation in the past, God's always worked it out for his glory. Every time he's had an event in our life, David said, I was a young man, now I'm an old man, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. Get God's perspective. Jesus, give me a vision of the Father. Just lift me up to a higher place. You can only get there and worship. Focus on him. Worship in him. Get God's perspective of what's going on. Help him to understand his perspective and how you're about to take the bait. Get on guard. Say, Father, I need your perspective right now because I'm about to be offended. Show me your thoughts. Show me what's going on. As painful it is to go through things as God plans, it's worse to be outside of the will of God. And number six, develop a love for God's word. Great peace, Psalm 119 says, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Jeremiah 6.17 says, I've set watchmen on you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet was always a prophetic voice. But they said, We will not listen. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before your people, and the fathers and the sons shall fall on them, and the neighbors and their friends 
shall perish. If you don't want to stumble, you don't want to fall, develop a love for God's words. There are times where the word of God has come back and arrested my heart and says, stop, go a different direction and deal with that thing. It has stopped me from being in defense. Have I got a perfect no? That's why I continue to meditate on his word. Great peace have those who love my word and they will not be offended. We need to be on our guard because offenses will come. As I said, attacks from the outside hurt, but it's the inside that causes the most destruction. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know what that means? He's looking for lion meat. He not only is putting the bait out, he's looking to eat some lion meat. Let's make a commitment, a covenant to God today. Say, no more lion's meat. We're not going to take the bait. We're not going to let ourselves be offended. So what do you do when an offended person comes to you? Number one, don't take the bait yourself. Don't take the bait. When they come to you offended, don't take the bait. Don't push them away. I'll show you what to do with them. But don't take their bait. Number two is we need to say them with love. Come out of your box. Let me help you to deal with this thing. Let me help you correct it. Have you gone back to the person who offended you? Have you gone directly and told them about it? If you got something about Ken Holmgren, an elder, have you sat down and talked to him about it? Is it really worth being trapped under this bondage? Don't you want freedom, we need to say. Turn to Matthew 18. I want to show you something. If the church of Jesus Christ would apply this scripture to everything they do, every time they get offended, the whole chapter is about how to deal with offenses. The whole chapter is how to deal with stumbling blocks. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go to him and to him alone and tell him your fault. Between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't hear you, what do I do? He says what to do there, verse 16. If he doesn't hear you, take along with you one or other person or two other people. Because out of the mouth of two or three, let every word be established. Yeah, but okay, I went to him, he wouldn't receive me. I brought somebody else with and he wouldn't receive me. Verse 17, if he refuses to hear, tell it to the church. Pretty serious at that point. That's why if we're all on our guard, if we're all making decisions, if we're all remaining true to the word, we're not going to let it get to the place where it's brought before the church. What happens if they don't receive the church? If he refuse to listen to the church, Jesus said, let him be like a heathen or a tax collector. I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. This was not a, a little sampler to take out of this text. It's talking about offenses. He's saying this is serious stuff here, people. Whatever you bind on earth, the offenses you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. Again, I tell you, Jesus says, if two or three of you agree as touching anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. We take those verses out of context. Well, let's just pray together. Two or three gathered together, we're here. He's saying, when dealing with the offense, when Ken and I sit down and dialogue, and Ken won't listen to me, so I bring Carol with, and he won't listen to Carol, so I bring Norm with, and the three of us sitting down there, he's in the midst of it. I'm trusting, this works in my marriage, I'm trusting that he's got the Holy Spirit, he's listening, he's saying, you're right, I want to deal with this thing. So it never comes before the church. We've got to deal with it. And then he goes on, and Peter, being always a smart one, says, but Lord, how often do I have to do this? Seven times? He says, no, seven times, 70 times. And then he goes on at the end of that chapter 18 and says this, verse 35, so my Father in heaven will do to each of you 
from his heart if he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Pretty serious stuff. We're supposed to go to the person who's offended us. Not to our neighbor, not to our friend, not to even our spouse. Go to the person and get reconciled with them directly. I don't know why we violate this. Worship team, please come on up. My friends, it's time to make a strategic shift. It's time for us to get from bondage to freedom. It's time for us to stop living under the box. It's pretty serious under here. I've dealt with way too many Christians in a counseling setting who have been offended. Way too many people over the years when I pastored. Way too many pastors who have been offended and hurt. Too many churches that have been offended by other denominations that won't work with each other. It's time for us to get it right. But I'm convinced of this. We can't do it without the Lord's help. But with His help, we can deal with it. And we can be liberated. He does not want us to be bound, but He wants us to be liberated. Stand on your feet, please, so I can pray for you. There's nothing spiritual about that. It just causes you to... You look better when you shift everything. Father, I'm just asking that you would give us the grace to come out of the box. We just put ourselves in a position of saying, Father, we've seen too many people come to us who are offended, and there's too many times where, Father, I admit, I get offended, and we want to see that stopped in our life. We want you to do a strategic shift in our lives today, Father, that this image of the box would encapsulate our mind every time we're about to take the bait, every time someone comes to us. Father, would you help us? Would you grace us with your spirit? that we no longer be people who are bound up, but be people liberated. Father, we once again covenant ourselves back to you. We recognize that you're not only our Savior, but that you are the Lord of our life. Forgive us as we've challenged and, and questioned what you've done in our life. Forgive us as we receive reports about another elder or another person in the church, the body of Christ, without ever dealing with it properly. Forgive us, Father. And Father, as we leave this place today, I'm asking that you would do something supernatural in our hearts. That when we leave the walls of this church, that we take with us the sweet aroma of Jesus as you have liberated. So, Father, I pray against every person that has offended us. We pray forgiveness. We want to see things released in the spiritual realm and let it come out in the natural. Jude says this, Now looking unto him who is able to keep you from falling, presents you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We don't do it ourselves. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, I'm asking right now by your spirit, arrest us. Show us our true conditions. Show us our hearts. I thank you, Father, that you do not come with condemnation and judgment, but you come with liberation. Father, I pray that these people be liberated in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.